J.C. Ryle many years once wrote, There is no name among the English martyrs so well known in history as his. J.C. Ryle was referring to Thomas Cranmer. Thomas Cranmer was the Archbishop of Canterbury many years ago in the 1500s. And Cranmer was burnt at the stake in Oxford. He was one of the 288 people that died, burnt at the stake at the hands of Mary during her four-year reign, Queen Mary. Thomas Cranmer was betrayed even at the very last minute. He was mistreated and betrayed and finally he lost his own very life. I wonder if you yourself have been betrayed in life. I wonder if someone you trusted perhaps at some point has turned their back on you or betrayed you. I wonder if you yourself have suffered injustice in this broken world. I wonder if you've ever wondered where is God? Where is God when things go wrong? How is it that we're able to persevere despite the difficulties in this broken world? Well, from Genesis 23, we'll seek to answer that question by looking at the life of Abraham. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Genesis 23 is not a passage of the Bible that a preacher would choose to to, to, to pick from the Bible to suddenly just preach from it. If you're visiting a, a church This is not a passage you go to. You go for an easier passage or for for a well-known portion of Scripture. But one of the beauties of going through systematically through a book of the Bible is that you have to address even the difficult or the uh, not very clear passages in Scripture. And today we will read from Genesis 23, which begins with the death of Sarah. And it concludes with the burial of Sarah. But even though it begins with Sarah and her death and concludes with a a burial of of her body. uh, All in between 18 verses we see just an an exchange between Abraham and the the people of the land. He is seeking to buy a land from them and, 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 and there is so much of this chunk of of chapter 23 that that we can see that this chapter is not so much about Sarah and her death as we will see it is about Abraham and his faith Abraham's persevering faith if you remember back in chapter 22 Abraham's faith was now mature he was tested as he lived up the the, the, the knife and about to take his own son as commanded by God. His, his faith was tested. But here we see a man with a mature faith, a faith that now is in action in chapter 23. So we will read this portion of scripture in three different movements, three moves, which is a bereaved prince, number one. And secondly, an exploited prince. And thirdly, A persevering prince. 
at bereaved prince, an exploited prince, and a persevering prince. Father, we pray that as we consider this portion of scripture, you may speak to us all. And not only, Lord, that we may hear with our ears, but that we may put this into action for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 1, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Verse 2, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is recorded at death. I don't know whether it has anything to do with the fact that women don't like to share their age or whether it's a top secret. But it's the only woman in the Bible whose age is revealed at death. After Isaac... Remember Isaac, he was the the son of the promise. She had Isaac in her old age. But after Isaac, here she lives for another 37 years. 37 years and then she dies. And here Abraham is grieving, grieving the death and the loss of his dear wife. He says there, verse 2 again. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Here we have a suffering man. It is okay to grieve. Grieve is one of the experiences in in life as as people. It is okay to grieve. Grieve is is going uh, uh, weeping for that which is interrupting life. Even Jesus wept as he saw the effects of sin and decay with his friend Lazarus. And here we have Abraham weeping, crying, grieving. But when we do grieve, we don't grieve like those with no hope. For there is hope only in Jesus Christ, the Lord. But here she is. She died She died with seeing no other children but Isaac. She died by seeing no no other grandchildren in her life. Isaac had no, no children. She died even while Abraham had no land of possession of his own. She died without seeing the great promise of the descendants becoming as vast as the sand of the sea or as vast as the stars up in the sky, she, 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 she died. And there she is, without seeing the promise of Canaan. She died while her husband owned no land except for the right of the, the water in, in the well of Beersheba, back in chapter 21. She died, and now Abraham is grieving. Where is God when death strikes? 
Where is God when difficulty comes our way? In their case, where is God and all his promises? Oh, Sarah believed God and Abraham believed God also. They received the promise of a child even though they couldn't see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime. But they believed that God would bring the promise some way, somehow, even despite death. And the faith of Sarah is, a, 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 is an example faith because even Isaiah chapter 51 exemplifies Sarah in the Old Testament as a woman of faith to be, to be followed as an example. And the New Testament also portrays Sarah as a woman of faith in 1 Peter and in Hebrews. Sarah, like Abraham, was a woman of faith. Despite the fact that she could not see the promise fulfilled, she was a woman of faith. She trusted God in his timing. Mature faith perseveres despite the difficulties. And Sarah and Abraham both persevered. But here he is grieving at the loss of his own dear sweetheart. She's died and he's grieving. Abraham is a bereaved prince. And as he grieves, there is no mention of God in Genesis 23. You won't find God working in Genesis 23. You will not find God's oracles and God speaking in Genesis 23 as he did many a times before. Not here in Genesis 23 Abraham is grieving and there's no mention of God here. You may have noticed there in verse 6, there is mention of a prince of God. But he's not talking about God, he's talking about Abraham, the prince. For God is doing nothing here in chapter 23 on the text, though in the background, God is indeed working. By the way, the King James Version or King James Bible, as well as the NIV, render this portion of verse 6 as mighty prince, not as prince of God. And, and the reason for that in the Hebrew, uh, the text has in the Hebrew Elohim, which is God. But some translations do not render it as God. Because Elohim, when he's added to another word, sometimes is, is amplifies the word which he's placed next to. So, for example, in 1 Samuel, we see that Elohim is added to panic. And this is rendered as great panic. Or later in Samuel as well, uh, Elohim sleep. And is rendered as a very deep sleep. Or later we find a Elohim flame which is rendered as a frightful flame. And here we have Elohim Prince or Mighty Prince or Prince of God. And so there he is, a bereaved man whose God seems absent. He's lonely and he's bereaving. He's the bereaved Prince. I wonder... Have you ever questioned where is God in this situation? Where is God while I'm going through 
this difficulty in life? Where is God in my pain? Where is God with my relative dying at such a young age? Where is God with the circumstances in life? With all these happenings in life? We've all been tested in times like that, haven't we? All of us have gone through times like that. I remember when I was just a young lad, some years back, I just got married. We were driving onwards to church. I was all suited and booted. And as I was driving to, 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 to church, suddenly a terrible car, car accident. I was hit on the side. Both cars were right off. Uh, the, the lady in the other car uh, who hit me on the side uh, had a, an injury. And so Raquel was also injured. And so they both were taken to hospital. And in Mexico, there is this law that if anyone in a car accident, any of the drivers in a car accident is not injured, he must remain in custody. So there I was in a police cell, suited and booted, not knowing what's going to happen. And so there I am. I should be there standing, worshipping God with my hands up, praising the Lord. And there I was sitting in a, in a police station behind bars. And there were two other people there. And so I opened up my Bible and I started sharing the gospel. But you see, when difficulties come your way, you, you, you don't know what to think. In God's providence, he orchestrated it in that way so that who knew that a guy would be turning up with a Bible to a police station cell? They heard the gospel, but I took the blame. I thought it was my fault. But in hindsight, it was wrong for me to have taken the blame. And I signed saying, yes, I've, I've, it was my, my fault. Uh, in Mexico, you're not required to have car insurance. And I did not have car insurance. And so I had to fork the bill. Fortunately, my wife and the, the other lady who was rushing to the airport uh, over the speed limit uh, was, was, was not fatally injured or, or, or badly injured. Just, just a minor injury uh, in the neck. But I had to fork the bill. I had to work hard for a couple of years to try to pay that back. Where is God when things like that happen? And, and we all have gone through th periods like that. But Abraham here, he's not only a bereaved prince, he's an exploited prince. Not only is he grieving alone, but the locals around him are seeking or are taking advantage of his situation. You see, Abraham asks the people of the land to buy a portion of land from them. But they don't want him to own any part of the land. So they say, go on, just use the land without owning it. They don't want him to possess the land or any portion thereof. But he's asking to be a landowner among them. So he insists rather than to turn back into the, the, the land of the Chaldeans or because he could have just gone back to his own land to bury his wife there. But no, he insisted that he wanted to purchase a, a part of the land in order to bury his own wife because this, this was the promised land. 
This was the land that God had promised him despite the fact that it was still not his. And so he knows that this land is his. And so he insists that he wants to buy and bury his wife in the promised land. You see, my friend, Abraham is showing faith. And despite the fact that he's showing faith, they decline. They don't want him to own the deeds of the land. They, they, they allow him, nevertheless, to bury his wife. But th- think about it. He's an old man. And if an old man burying his wife, it won't be long before he bites the dust, as they say. And so they don't want to lose the portion of land. And so they say, yeah, just, just use the land. Let her be buried there. He'll soon be out of the way. And so they still own the land. But Abraham knows. And so he acts in faith, persistent. He shows faith despite them declining. And he insists. Verses 3 to 6. Hear us, my Lord, they reply. Uh, Sorry, verse 3. Then Abraham arose from before the dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us, or a mighty prince. Bury your dead in the choices of of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Verse 7. So Abraham arose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zoah, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of this field for the full prize. Let him give it to me in the presence as a property for a burying place. So here he is again insisting. And he now calls for, for, for the guy who owns the cave. And he wants to, to, to ask him and say, name the price. Name the price. I want to buy it from you for my, for my dead. And he, he, he's on and on insisting. But they don't want to give the land of possession. And so he mentions a figure. Many commentators believe that the figure he was mentioning was just to get him to, to, to flick him. Imagine if you were to have a plot of land and you had a small uh, piece of land that someone is asking, maybe like an allotment, and say, can I use a little bit of your land? In fact, can I buy some of your land? And you say, well, I let you use it, but I don't want you to own it. So just just go and use it for them in the meantime. No, no, come on, please. Let me let me buy it from you. You name the price. Oh, four million pounds. But just use it for now. And Abraham, what does he do? He gets the checkbook out and he says, right, that figure. OK, so he organizes the state agent and the solicitors and he brings everything in the presence of everybody. And, and he gives what they are asking for, which is an exorbitant amount of money. Look at verse 10. Then Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. Of all who went in the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. And I give you the cave that is in it. 
In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land. But if you will hear me. You see this to and fro, to and fro. Verse 13 again. I give the prize of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead dead there. Ephron answered Abraham. My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is this between you and me? Bury your dead. Now, the significance of these 400 pieces of silver is, 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 is highlighted by looking at other portions of the Bible. So, for example, David bought the threshing floor where the temple would be built for 50 shekels many years later. Jeremiah, 1,500 years later, Jeremiah buys a plot of land for 17 shekels. And here he's asking for 400 shekels for a burial ground. And what does Abraham do? He says, go on then, I'll give you. It didn't matter the expense that would, he would incur. It didn't matter that they were taking advantage of him. He just goes ahead and gives what they're asking. Verse Fourteen, Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is this between you and me? Bury your dead. Verse 16, Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out, the, out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. Verse 17, so the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Verse 20 The last verse, the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for the bearing place by the Hittites. Abraham was not only a grieving prince. Abraham was being exploited and he paid the price. In a sense, they took advantage of his situation after being opposed, after being rejected, the offer. They finally gave in, but it came at a great cost to him. I wonder, have you ever been taken advantage of in life? Maybe a broken deal. Maybe someone mistreating you, taking advantage of you. Have you ever suffered opposition and injustice despite your difficult circumstances and situation? Abraham, Abraham was. He was a bereaved prince, but he was also an exploited prince. But not only that, he was also a 
persevering prince. He persevered. Despite the opposition, despite the personal cost, despite the emotional bereavement, despite, despite the fact that God seems not to be there, Abraham shows faith in action by buying that piece of land, no matter the cost that was to him. The Bible calls this obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. This phrase appears in Romans chapter 1 verse 5. Obedience of faith. Obedience of faith is that obedience that comes as a result of believing that the Lord has saved us. It is not a faith that comes in order that I will be saved, but because I have been saved, I want to obey my Lord. That is obedience of faith. And not only does Romans 1.5 mention obedience of faith, but Romans 16, the other end of the letter, it closes with that phrase, obedience of faith, the two bookends of Romans. Obedience of faith. Obedience flows from a thankful heart to God that knows he's been redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of of the Lamb. Remember when Abraham believed God back in chapter 15, the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness by simply believing he was made right before God. Do, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the good news of salvation that is only found in Christ? If, if that is you, if you know your sins have been forgiven, washed with the blood of the Lamb, like we sung in that wonderful hymn, if that is you, my dear friend, then the, the, you're One of your birthmarks is obedience. Obedience is one of the birthmarks of a believer. Do you have the mark, the birthmark of of faith? Look look, look to the person on on your side. Just, Just look to see if they've got the birthmark of obedience. And now turn on to the other side and see, see if they, they've got the birthmark of obedience. Obedience. Obedience of faith. And his faith paid off. Abraham's faith paid off. This is the very same place that Abraham was later buried in when he died. Not only was Abraham buried there, but also Isaac, his son, was buried in that same place. And guess who else? Rebekah was buried in that place. That would have not happened unless he purchased the land, and he did. And not just Rebekah, but also Jacob was buried there, and Leah was buried there. And then remember when Jacob was in Egypt, he said to his sons, please, I entreat you, take me back to the land with my forefathers that I too may be buried there. And when he died, they took him there and he was there, buried there as well. Obedience of faith of Abraham brought fruit for future generations. I wonder, your obedience of faith, I wonder if it will bring fruit for other generations after you. Because you know what? The only reason why you and I are seated here is because someone else's obedience of faith in the past. 
And not only they, but the ones before them. The only reason why we are here sitting is because someone once preached to us the good news of salvation. They remain in obedience. And that was a proof of their faith. Obedience of faith. That was Abraham. And he brought much fruit for future years. Abraham's faith is a mature faith. Such faith perseveres despite the difficulties. I wonder, has your faith been tested through difficulties? Maybe you've been asked to cut corners at work or to to dodge the tax man. What will you do? Will you act in obedience of faith? Maybe you desire to buy a bigger TV or a bigger car or a bigger plot of land and you know that, well, if you, if you stop giving your tithe, that will give, get you there quite quickly. And so what will you do? Or will you act in faith? Maybe your relationship with your spouse is being hard and difficult and deteriorating. And that young lady at work is so understanding. What will you do? What will you do? Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been stabbed in the back by the very closest person that you trusted like no one else. What will you do? Will you retaliate with revenge and a desire to finish things there? Or will you look to Christ and behold the Saviour who died for sinners and love? You seek To go against God's word and pursue that divorce that you know the Bible says God hates divorce. And will you pursue it at all costs or will you remain in obedience of faith and lay your life for your wife as Christ loved the church that he gave himself up for her? What will you do, my dear friends, and mature faith perseveres despite the ups and downs of life? Living by faith means living a life that is in in, in the light of God's promises. Out of ten that God has given me, out of the ten coins that I earned, I'll give one to the Lord or more. According to the, the way that God allows. That is living by faith. Out of the ten carrots or the ten bags of potatoes that I bring home, I'll separate one to the Lord. And on top of that, I will also separate to give to the needy. That was the pattern in the Old Testament. That should be a pattern for us today to be acts of faith. Out of the seven days that God has made and given to us, We shall work six days for 
we, we, we are made for the glory of God and God made us for work. And so we will work hard for the glory of God, not to live the life I wish, but to, to live for the glory of God. And out of six days, or out of seven days, sorry, six, we will work. And on the one of the seven days, we will separate for the Lord. The, the, the one of seven is the Lord's day. Not the Lord's morning. It's the Lord's day. It's not family day. It's not recreation day. It's not entertainment day. And I'm not saying this in order to shackle into old commandments. I'm saying this because it flows from a heart that longs to do God's will. And so I shall make plans beforehand so that I don't need to go and get shopping or wash the car or whatever it is under the earth. I will make plans so that that one day is the Lord's day. And I shall meet with God's people in the morning and have a meal with them or, or worship and, and then meet in the afternoon. It's the Lord's day. But what will you do? What will you do? So, in conclusion, I opened this sermon by talking about Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He was betrayed towards the end of his life, and burned at the stake in Oxford. Cranmer was a man who dearly rejoiced in the hope of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. But sadly, at a time of weakness, he showed the white feather. At a time of weakness, he recanted his beliefs. And he signed his recantation document. And then they betrayed him. And they said, you'll still be taken to the stake. And he wept bitterly. Like Peter, when he saw the Saviour, got reminded after the crow, crow, uh, crowd three times, he saw the Saviour and wept he was restored and Thomas Cramner, even though he, he recanted, he wept bitterly. And as he was tied to the stake and as he lifted up one of his hands to God, he began praying. And with the very other hand with which he signed that document, he put it down, knowing that that hand would go and burn first. And he cried to God and prayed to God in repentance and faith in the Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ, even at the very end, Thomas Cramner persevered despite the heavy test. Life's tests are like fire. They remove the dross and expose the gold. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So my exhortation to you, my dear brothers and sisters in the faith, persevere through the ups and downs. Persevere despite the bereavements or despite the not seeing God in any circumstance. Persevere despite extortion, exploitation, rejection, opposition. Persevere despite abuse. Persevere like Abraham. Persevere in the faith. Amen. Amen.
Father, we come before you giving you thanks, O Lord, for your